Welcome to another Pro Video Coalition podcast. On this episode, we are talking about which nonlinear editing software is best. And when this podcast is done, we will determine a winner of which of the big four are the best. And that's not true. Um, so welcome uh, on the call. I've got Oliver Peters here. Who, a couple weeks ago, he wrote a Media Composer review type of article for us here at PVC. And it kind of got me thinking because I haven't done much Avid this year about this question of uh, the different NLEs and switching and uh, just that general kind of category. Oliver, thanks for uh, joining the call here. Sure. Thanks. And we also have uh, Bob, who's also, wait, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Tony Gallardo, he told me to call him Bob, who's also on the call. And you might know Tony from Twitter and also from NAB, if you've ever walked around. He's been in the, uh, the Black Magic booth a few times, and he's sat on a couple of panels. He and I have been on a couple of panels at NAB talking about a very similar subject. And we've also had beers over this conversation. Tony, thanks for uh, joining. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. I don't think it was beers. I think it was actually hard liquor in bottles at a party or something, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes, the, the memory is a little, it's a little cloudy, but uh, yeah, I know. It's good memories. <laughs> All right. So, Oliver, which NLE is best? Go. Yeah. All of the above. I love them and hate them all. <laughs> so, uh, so here's the first question I want to ask. And this, and this chat actually is prompted by a, a post-chat Facebook group uh, thread the other day where someone asked the question something to the effect of, why is Premiere so bad? Or why would anyone ever use Premiere? And I thought, well, I use Premiere all, all the time without issue. And I was reading some of the comments on that Facebook thread, and it was just, you know, it devolved into just the usual name-calling crap. And I think I commented at the end, said this poster, whoever posted this should be banned because this is just a waste of, waste of people's energy. And I reported the post. So why in the world does the question of which nonlinear editing software you are using, why does it elicit such a religious, almost hatred sometimes amongst the, uh, amongst the chatters of the world? I, I think part of it is because, it, you know, we tend to be tribalistic. And if it's not NLEs, it's cars, right? It's Ford versus Chevy or something else. And I think people tend to... Uh, just think that whatever they like, everybody else should like it as well. Yeah, like if it, it, it's worked for their workflow and maybe they tried something else and it didn't quite go well. And so I'm going to stick with what I know. And, and this has kind of become my tried and true. It's like a chef with their knives. You know, these are my they have their own personal knives and and if they use somebody else's knives. It's, you know, am I cutting this correctly or is this actually working? In reality, it is, but, you know, it's all, I guess, part of it psychological. <laughs> this is my specialized well, tool. I, I think also part of it is that the problems that we run into running software or hardware uh, can often be idiosyncratic that they are localized to your particular combination of things. But you assume that everybody must be having those problems when that, in fact, isn't the case. So... You know, people who post, gosh, this crashes on me all the time. And then you look at other people and go, well, I don't know what you're talking about because mine's completely rock solid. And so you tend to get in these camps of, well, you must be doing it wrong or whatever because you're not seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Does part of that come back to improper training on how to use these what can be somewhat complex tools yeah i i mean that may be part of it but i think also 
uh, software should work. And so even if you're using it wrong, it shouldn't cause the system to crash. Uh, but as we all know, software is always imperfect. And that's why you have beta testing and, and all the stuff that goes into it to try to get down to the fewest variables that might cause a problem. I, I think also a, a lot of people, you know, the hardware combinations are so vastly different that that makes yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you remember years ago when we would, I would have an edit suite or, you know, I'd have to install software for edit suites and it would take a day just to do one suite by the time you you know had to wipe the whole everything and then reinstall from scratch just to make sure everything lined up properly and nowadays everything's in the cloud you just download it while you're having coffee and you're up and running and it's become more available to a vast majority of folks now than than it used to be and it's not the same process so i'm going to have skype running while i have you know resolve or final cut or premiere open or you know, all these other plethora of, of tools and so it there's more like like Oliver saying more variables to mess something up easier. Yeah, I well the other day I was running both Final Cut Pro and Premiere at the same time doing changes on the job and then I booted up Resolve to try to answer a question that someone had, <laughs> someone had asked me. And so that you know that moment I had three of them running which is in the past would have been totally uh, you know insane and unheard of and it, and, and they all worked okay at that point. Let's all right. Let's. I want to talk about like the education side for a second because this is something that often comes up talking about Final Cut Ten. That it is probably the easiest of uh, between Final Cut, Resolve, Premiere, and Media Composer to pick up and learn. And I and I think I've always thought that could be a universally true statement. But Oliver, I think you might disagree with that a little bit. We've had a little discussion on that. But if you take about something like Final Cut, that's simple to learn and conceptually pretty easy to grasp to explain someone in a, you know in a couple of minutes but yet it's incredibly complex once you once you dig in i think some people people would argue that that's the best way one can make a tool for the complex world of video editing because we can run from a simple little uh, youtube social piece that's 29 seconds and just has someone talking with a graphic over it to a you know multi episode uh, broadcast television show that has thousands of hours of media that has to come in and then finally be put out to air. So it seems like the uh, the paradigm of Final Cut is has it right these days. It can do everything in a sense from the easiest to the most difficult. Um, Oliver, is that you know would you agree with that statement that they've got it right and everybody else has it wrong? Well, I don't know that everybody else has it wrong, but I, I yes, think... Yes, they do. Come they... on. We're supposed to be creating controversy here. <laughs> you know, I I think it depends on what your background is as a user. I, I'd say yes, if you're coming from a background of no prior uh, experience with some sort of editing software, then I think Final Cut is very intuitive. And I think if you come from a background of, you know, a, a standard track-based system then you got a little bit of relearning to do. And in fact, it may be harder to wrap your head around what's going on there. So it, it really depends on what your, you know, what your starting point is. Now, Tony, I know you know Final Cut 10 really well, as well as Resolve, especially because you've worked with Blackmagic at NAB. I don't understand why sometimes people have such a hard time grasping how Final Cut's trackless paradigm works 
It is different. Absolutely. It's, you know, and it takes some rethinking of your brain, but at the simplest level, what it's doing, where it just plops things, you know, where your playhead is, it connects them all together. And if you move something, everything else for the most part moves along with it. You know, as one who has worked extensively with tracks and non-tracks, why is it so hard for people to grasp this? Or is it, it's not hard to grasp, they just refuse to try to figure it out? You know, I think you're right in that uh, Final Cut is very simplistically deep, right? It's, it appears to be very simple, and it appears to be almost too simple. So I think depending, like Oliver's saying, on which side of the coin you're coming from, if you're this experienced um, editor who has years with software and how things have been traditionally done and these are the norms um you might not be willing to shed those or be willing to give those up to learn something new you know it's it's one thing to jump between media composer and premiere or media composer and and resolve for the most part uh you kind of have things in the same hemispheres and you know continents are mostly the same they might call things a little differently but uh it appears that you know it's a completely different hemisphere with with final cut and maybe it feels too simple. And like you said, it's it's deceptive in that it can be super deep. So it, it's the, the moment that you hit that resistance of, oh, crap, I just I just ruined my whole timeline and everything is going to be ruined from this point forward. It's, it's you got to have that open mind, I think. Um, you know, I've, I've trained a lot of folks who are not Final Cut users. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, is the all the, the editors that I've helped or trained learning Final Cut. It's the ones who were open to saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this the way it wants me to. They're the ones who kind of have had success with Final Cut versus the other ones who keep trying to force this, you know, square peg in the round hole and they can get it to work, but man, it's, you know, it's rough around the edges and, um, they're kind of grumbling underneath their breath. So I, I think it's a little bit of, of everything is willingness to let it go, to realize that this is how it wants you to work. And it's going to be frustrating, but there's going to be that light bulb moment when you realize, oh, this is just rippling and there's no tracks. And I actually saved 10 clicks so I can move a little bit faster. That makes sense. Well, let, let me I, I would counter the saving the clicks. I, I do consider it faster, but, um, part, you know, people like structure. They, they like something staying where they put it. And because Final Cut 10 has the tendency to move things up or down out of the way when you're connecting things, um, that's a little bit disconcerting. But then you end up also having to uh, do extra things to work within that system. So, for example, if you have a connected audio clip and it is... Uh, actually starting on the clip just prior, but it needs to belong to the next clip, you actually have to go through an extra step to move where that clip is pinned. And it's those kinds of things that aren't readily obvious. And when you start moving clips around in the magnetic timeline, all of a sudden you're seeing that, well, wait a minute, the connected clips aren't moving with my clip the way they're supposed to because they missed that particular point, or it wasn't really brought out in the YouTube demo that they happened to watch, right? And I, I think, so you have to kind of learn to work within the system as well. 
you de absolutely definitely have to. And I think that's one of the things is for any of these pieces of software, it's that they're going to do things a little bit differently. And you can use what you think is the norm, but you kind of have to look to see how does Premiere want to handle it? The same thing is true for the, the clip management on tracks, right? If you don't deselect certain tracks, you're going to move something and it's going to overwrite. Um, so it, there's still gotchas uh, that you don't think about. Um, like when I, when I'm in final cut and then I go back to resolve to edit, I forget that I have to manage tracks. <laughs> I forget that they have to think about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. And so that, yeah. like, you know, that is the same thing as the clip associate, uh, you know, the clip, um, repositioning if you will. But I think it's just willingness to, okay, how does this software want me to, to maneuver? Right. Well, I, I, I think also though, it depends on if the kind of work you do requires turnover to somebody else, right? So if you're going to send the mix to a Pro Tools mixer or something else, then you really want to be careful about how you're assigning your audio roles. And mm -hmm. those are things that in a track-based system, you just go, oh, I drag this clip down here if I want to, you know, organize it in a certain way. And uh, that that tends to be a difference that you know, people have to get used to and understand. Some of the loudest complaining and yelling that I see on various forums and uh, Facebook group threads, and even on Twitter, I think comes from people who may be forced to use one of the a different tool than what they want to use, or they're used or they're used to using. And I, yeah. you know, which makes perfect sense because when do you when do you complain loudest is when something's not not working right, but. It's more that uh, the reason people who get a little bit of education first seem to be able to jump in and, and kind of move fluently, but you know, between them with a bit of a um, with a bit of a mind shift. And I don't deny that it has, does take a mind shift when you're moving um, from one from one to the other. But Oliver, I want to ask you about uh, about teaching because you've you've taught and, and, and trained editors on on I, I think uh, on all the systems somewhat closely like you know it's in like you're yes. teaching avid and then the next week you got to teach final cut but you i you commented one time that something intrigued me if i remember my history correctly i mentioned that final cut 10 being so much easier to to, to teach and, and to learn and i think i heard you once say that you know you might disagree with that a little bit that it's not it, you know necessarily the easiest one to to teach somebody from scratch am i misremembering that or well i, I... I'm trying to remember the conversation too, but I mean, going back to where I've I've done a fair amount of uh, teaching, it's been at like a college film level, and in so, so that that's, case, that's a captive audience that are, that's wanting to learn as opposed to, you know, an advertising department where it says, "Hey, you got to now edit video graphic designer." I think that's 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 someone who's there wanting to properly figure it out. Yeah, but what, what you also find, though, is a lot of them come from a background of having a high school video class or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Or they learned on their own and they've already been dabbling in doing their own YouTube videos and so on. And, they're, you know, it's not a complete blank slate. You do end up having, um, uh, you know, some that came from Premiere that are fighting uh, Final Cut 10, and you have some that if you try to teach them Premiere, you you know they've been using Final Cut 10, and and they are resistant to doing it with anything else. Uh, one of the things that you know I've always tried to get across to them is 
Yeah. In the amount of time I'm doing this, going back to the linear days, I've, for billable jobs, worked on probably 15 different systems. And, you know, CMX used to be the king, right? It's gone. Um, Avid used to be the only game in town for the most part. Then Final Cut came along and got ser- was a serious competitor. So, you know, I've tried to instill to them, it's like, look, don't get married to one particular tool. Learn the concepts of what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. because if you're starting out in the business, guaranteed 10 years down the road, it may be a completely different ballgame than what you're dealing with now. And so if you learn the general concepts, then hopefully that can be applied to whatever the software is that you're going to be using. I've often seen comments in forums and and comment threads, things like that, uh, especially once they're dedicated to a specific NLE, like, you know, a a Facebook Final Cut 10 group or a Facebook Premiere group, where people will say, well, I would never take a job where I'm forced to use Premiere. I would never take a job where I'm forced to use Final Cut 10. I've said many times, probably on a podcast, that as a freelancer, I don't want to be uh, limited by the tool. I want to know them all well enough where if I get a call for a particular job that I that I would like and that might pay well, I can jump on it without even thinking thinking twice about it. Is that, uh, Tony, is that a way that people, freelancers especially, should think in this day and age? Or is it okay to silo yourself into, you know, one particular tool? I think you should only use Final Cut 10 and that's it, period. Okay. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> podcast over. <laughs> podcast is over. It no, says I mean, the man who works at the Resolve booth. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's any person that is telling a story is that's worth their salt. It doesn't matter what hammer they use. Uh, you know, they should be able to focus, like Oliver said, on the storytelling. Am I telling a story for an ad? Am I telling a story for a short film? Is this, you know, a documentary? What is it? That's the most important thing. Whether you're a freelancer or you're just, you know, you've got a nine to five and you're working at a corporation, an advertising agency, a network. To me, none of that matters. We, sh- you should be uh, fluid enough and and to know and to understand and to do your own research and to uh, learn how to use these tools. Because I find it that the more I start to use different tools. I remember what was so great about the other tool I was using and I can figure out new ways of using it. Plus I'm learning how to use a different tool. So I think that we have to be flexible. If it's so, if it's easy enough to download the software from the cloud in 10 minutes while you're sipping on coffee, um, then you have no excuse to, to not try and not use, um, that product or that NLE, especially if you're, if we're being paid, if if you're delivering, I, I get paid to deliver products. So, if uh, it, you know, as long as my client's not telling me that I have to edit with my hand behind my back and, you know, mm-hmm. upside down, then that's a different story. But it doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, they want me to cut in media composer, I'll gladly cut in media composer. Um, so it, really for them, all they want is a finished product. They just want my, the person behind the keys, if you will. So I think, uh, I think everybody should have a little bit of knowledge, at least on all of them, and know how to be able to jump yeah. in. Oliver, you you uh, work with multiple clients who have, you know, what, one day you're on Premiere and then the next day you're on something else. What, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, for the last few years, I've actually been working pretty steady out of one shop and we're primarily a Premiere shop. And so because of the nature of our client and the jobs, 
I may work on a job today and then a week later it's for revision and a different editor needs to hop on that because of scheduling reasons. So, um, you know, everybody knows Premiere. It's a shared storage system. So that just makes it easy. So if I decide on my own, gee, this is a project that I want to cut in Final Cut 10, that puts everybody else at a disadvantage unless I go through extra steps to also make that a compatible mm-hmm. premiere job as a backup, which in fact I've done this past week, not for this particular client, but for a different client uh, where I'm doing the uh, an overflow job for another post house. And I know they're a premiere shop. So that particular one I'm cutting in Final Cut 10 because I felt going in that given the nature of the job, uh, it would get me to an approval stage a lot quicker than anything else. But I'm also having to uh, CYA and make sure that there is a uh, a functional premiere project that I can also turn over because I know that particular post house is going to say, well, OK, we want all those, you know, the project files mm-hmm. in case we have to go back and do uh, revisions. So I think it entirely depends on the nature of uh, of your client base. Uh, I've done jobs where uh, particularly um, oh, videos behind the scenes on convention coverage and stuff like that, where you're working for the in-house corporate department or another uh, media department and things get dictated to you that, OK, this is the way we do things. So you need to fit into that. You can't just go off on your own. And uh you know, that, that's the kind of thing where you really have to learn to know a, a bit about everything and roll with the punches. Well, so that's actually an interesting segue um, into another thing, but I'll, I'll go back again. I keep referring to these uh, Facebook group uh, comments and threads and things like that because that's where so much of this stuff comes up. I'll see often comments about people or, or questions when they're asking like, hey, I need to move this whatever from premiere to avid or, or avid to premiere that seems to be the most common is, is between avid and premiere big big jobs what seems like big shows and they get a lot of responses about how you can kind of do it but you can't do it easily and it's going to be your things aren't going to translate and i often read these things and i and think to myself the time that it would take to move some of these jobs between nles is not worth in my humble opinion uh, the, the frustration of, you know, did things conform properly? Do you have to go back and rebuild? Is the audio there and in sync as a, you know, instead of just jumping in and kind of learning, learning the new tool, I don't know if, correct uh, you know, and, and that's easy for me to say as one who knows the multiple tools, if you don't know anything about premiere and you've got to cut an hour long show in a short period of time, may, maybe not, but I, I just, you know, the translation between them is just still not 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 great which i guess can segue into that um what i was going to ask oliver is you know about translating between them and and why and this is a question i get asked all the time why pick one nle over another when you are when you're when you're editing so that's kind of two questions how you know how are you how are you translating accurately and why would you start in final cut if they want you to do it in premiere you know it depends on how complex everything is right and certain things translate well and certain things don't and in particular with Final Cut 10, uh, you know, I've had this discussion with uh, 
Philip Hodgetts and Greg Clark about, you know, gee, there are certain things I think need to be done in Final Cut. And I get the answer from them that it's just not possible. And they certainly know more about the guts of the software and particularly XML mm -hmm. than a lot of people. And so I'll, I'll take their word that it uh, some things I'm asking for can't be done. But on the other hand, I see other NLEs that do it. And I wonder, well, I still don't know why. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, if if your media is basically, you know, time coded standard format and your sequences are largely, you know, a cuts only assembly of that, then you're going to get a fairly good translation. Uh, but effects obviously aren't going to translate other than the sort of standard stuff, right? Like resizing and so on. And even bringing an F, FCP XML or an XML into Resolve, which seems to have about the best overall translation mm -hmm. capabilities, I still get things like sizing differences that make no sense to me. It's something that, you know, common would be I've got a 4K clip in, a, uh, in an HD timeline, right? So in Premiere, you can scale to fit or set scale to fit either way you know it, it either resam resamples the size or it just makes it 50 percent and you'll have two clips back to back on a resolved timeline when you bring it in and one of them was scaled properly and the other one wasn't and you go well there's nothing different <laughs> in the settings i don't understand it so anytime you do that sort of translation you do need to go back through and compare it against some sort of a reference, right? You exported a rough cut and now you go through and go, okay, this sizing didn't come across, let me fix it. Uh, and then you have the obvious issue of fonts and uh, effects and so on. Uh, even things like audio levels don't come across correctly mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have a clip where I've, I've written volume keyframes into my uh, clips or tracks and they'll go into resolve and all of a sudden it's all full volume or it's all muted completely. Yeah. And uh, so the ability to get a proper translation will vary between software. I've had a few of those sort of like WTF moments when you are trying to translate between the two because things that you expect to work or things that worked two clips before didn't work on that clip. And, and often you don't have time to go back and troubleshoot and send multiple EDA or XMLs back and forth. Uh, you just sort of fix it and, um, and, and go with it. Tony, you've done a lot of Final Cut to uh, resolve uh, translation, conforming and stuff. What's been your experience in that? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think, you know, there's, like Oliver said, there's so many variables that go into the NLE. We have so many different cameras. I mean, is this a multi-cam shoot? Is this time code? Is this XML time code? Is it rewrapped? Or what are we dealing with? So there's so many different possibilities just going into the NLE. And then all the stuff that you do to it from effects, transitions, color correction levels that you want to now spit out as the timeline into Resolve or another um, program that I, I don't even consider those to be part of it, I just I just make a nice reference file, and I'm expecting just to get my my clips on the timeline pr properly. And I usually just end up double checking to rebuild everything because there's no point of trying to hope that 
you know, oh, am I going to get 25% of everything in or 50% or 100%? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather just make sure that I do just start from the beginning of the timeline and do, uh, you know, a quality control check and verification. And Resolve's got great tools. I mean, it's, Resolve is a great tool as a, it's a, um, a Swiss army knife, if you mm-hmm. will. So it's yeah. got tons of referencing tools that you can use to check all your different cut points and, and whatnot. So that's, that's really nice. And I've done the transition from Media Composer to Resolve to Final Cut, uh, or from um, for Final Cut to Resolve to Premiere. But it's always just going to be, you know, just give me my cuts on my timeline um, and the takes that I want, and then I'll have to rebuild it. Which, to your question earlier, it's like if you're going to be moving trends, you know, NLEs, uh, you really have to think about that because that's not just I'm just going to yeah. move over and, and pick up and go. And like, are you doing a a 30 second commercial or are you doing a two hour show? I just did a four hour show and I would not want to tra- move that over at all with all the different like sizing effects we yeah. did. There's no way. One of the biggest misconceptions I see is that people think, Oh, I need to move this project from one to the other to edit it. And they're thinking my bins full of media, my uh, you know, all the stuff that's been organized by somebody else. And it's like, no, you can't really do that you're just moving a timeline this the thought of moving the entire project is just not it's not something that that is achievable at uh at, at this at this point in time um, well he, even two even two editors working in the exact same nle are going to organize their project differently and you get some people's projects that you open up and it's very confusing to try to make heads or tails out of what their flow was through the job and you look at the timeline and the timeline is like stream of consciousness right there are still old clips that are uh, you know muted or disabled or whatever and they're scattered throughout and and you know particularly in a track-based system all of a sudden you've got 10 or 12 video tracks where you really only need one or two. Yeah, and I think that's sort of uh, the uneducated in a sense that, that they don't, you know, weren't or weren't trained or don't think about, you know, how to organize things better. They may have a messy desk and their room may be a, may be a big mess, but no one ever comes in it. So why, why clean it up? <laughs> right. Uh, maybe it was you. Maybe it was you that said this, Scott, but uh, the, the, the quote of uh, you will be judged by your timeline. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. If I didn't, that's a good one. That's I'll good claim one. it. <laughs> that's a good one. No one should judge anybody. Um, I wanna, let's go back to that <laughs> second part of that question. And this is one that I see asked all the time and get asked all the time. Like, why do you choose a particular NLE for, for, a, different, for, a, certain, for a certain job? Like, why not pick one and work in it all the time? It's one who moves between them and picks different ones depending on what they're going to use. And I don't know who – I got my own way to tackle that, but uh, – I mean, Tony, you're, you stay away from Media Composer, I think. I don't think you do a ton of Media Composer and maybe not a lot of, a lot of Premiere. So what, what's your philosophy on someone says, here's what I need. You know, why do you pick what you pick? Uh, yeah, I, I mostly cut and uh, Final Cut or Resolve. Um, and if I need to jump in Media Composer, I have no problem. I, pull out my, I dust off my old uh, keyboard settings and dance on the keys uh, in Composer. Uh, and for Premiere, if uh, if I can, I will translate uh, straight into Resolve or Final Cut if I can. Um, but why pick it? I, you know, it's it's uh, horses for courses, right? It's each job is going to be unique. It's going to have different requirements, and it's going to have a different approach. What's the deadline like? 
What does the approval process look like? Um, who's, is there multiple people working on it? Um, does it need a span across uh, a company or uh, across a country, you know, be, remotely? So I think all those things have to play a factor into wh- why one would choose it. For me, it, it's, you know, I, I look at, am I going to do something in Final Cut that I need to send out to color and resolve? Or is this going to be a space in the budget and the timeline? I'm going to keep everything inside of of Final Cut. Final Cut's great at playback, right? You can graphics and you can throw a lot of stuff at it and just uh, away you go. And um, there's certain, there certain precisions that you can afford to not have in Final Cut because of its playback ability and it's got some decent graphics. But if I need a certain precisions or I'm on a tight deadline, like we did this four-hour uh, music show uh, live stream, well, we, it's much better to just edit everything inside of uh, Resolve because we can do our all of our broadcast coloring mixing straight away. There's no time. There's no time to conform. We don't need, we don't have time to move an XML. So let's just build it all in one system. Um, so it just depends. Every job is going to be different, and the tools that you need for that specific job are going to be different. I think that makes sense. Does make good sense. What what about uh about you, Oliver? Well, I, I think. Uh, it depends on the strength of the software, right? So, for example, in Final Cut 10, you have the uh, concept of audio roles. And uh, one of the things I end up doing as part of this uh, uh, account for this production company is their client has broadcast shows that we reformat for a streaming channel. So that means taking the um, all the files generated by the original production company who did the show and pulling up the commercial breaks and making sure captioning is correct and all of that. And that includes all the audio stems, all of the uh, audio description files. And it's much easier to pull those all into uh, into 10, split it up according to different audio roles, make your edits all the way across all of that, and then spit out the roles again and have all the variations Um, it's easier and quicker to do that in 10 than it would be to set up the track structure you need in a premiere or media composer in order to do the exact same thing there. Uh, And so that particular situation, even if I normally would edit most projects in premiere, I'd go to final cut 10 for that sort of a, a function. And, and, uh, you know, uh, Transcoding, for example, if you have something where you need to transcode a lot of dailies, even if I might not cut in Resolve, uh, Resolve is probably the fastest transcoder of any tool out there. And so I might do all of that in Resolve and then go, you know, pull those clips into a different application to edit. So, so you really, ha- you know, by knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the different applications, and having those available to you, you can, you know, pick and choose and use what works for any given job. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer the same question. Uh, and this could this answer to this could be a you know a deep podcast of just this one question. But I get asked so often, you know, I think on my simplest level is that, you know, there are times when you have a lot of media that needs to get out simply and fast is something that I would choose Final Cut 10 for, because I, I do not think that. Uh, any other the NLEs can match its sort of speed and its its simplified organizational structure when you can 
uh, assign keywords and keyword collections and then sort by the metadata. I think that's incredibly robust and incredibly well thought out. And I don't, I don't think anybody uh, resolved attempting, attempting to match it kind of, but I don't think they've been able to, uh, to reach that, reach that yet. And for, you know, gobs of media with fast turnarounds and, and more simple edits, I, I think that is one of my reasons to go there. I mean, of course we all know, uh, media composer has its collaboration strength on, on, on shared storage, which has been legendary for, which is kind of like this, you know, one of the, 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 the most common reasons to jump back on media composer for, for shows. And I think that's often the reason that many, many facilities are still kind of standardized on, on media composer. But you know, my, I think a lot of it also depends on kind of your market. Like my market went really premier, uh, a number of years ago. And, and a lot of the call, most of the calls I get, not all, but most of them, you know, from people wanting to hire maybe production companies or, or facilities that are on, on premiere. And I, I don't always think it's just because premiere has made these inroads because it was so close to final cut seven when final cut, uh, classic died. Um, I know that's a common conventional wisdom. I often think it's a lot more of the Adobe infrastructure of, you know, the depth of this, of the creative cloud suite, which, you know, e even though resolve can do a lot of stuff, it's still unmatched with what you can do with the, with the whole suite. But I still think that, you know, when I dive into premiere, it is so customizable and you can do anything you want in there in multiple ways, which is something that I've always gravitated toward just t tailoring little tasks to, you know, certain window setups with certain tools open and with certain keyboard shortcuts. And I, I still don't think any of the other ones can quite match that once you kind of really nail, nail that down, which, you know, perhaps is one of the reasons I would gravitate more towards premiere for just your, you know, your average corporate job or, or, uh, you know, thing with graphics and, and audio mixes and, and that, you know, so, so that's my answer to that, to that question. Yeah. I, I think part, part of it, yeah, so I used to freelance at a, uh, a broadcaster's production company and, uh, you know, internal, and they did all the, the promos and the local spots and so on. And when I first got there, what I found was the way they edited was they did the very basic minimum in a timeline, uh, which was basically just assemble the clips. And then everything else, transitions, effects, titles, everything was done in After Effects. So if if you didn't know After Effects wow. to some extent, you had no understanding of how to change the spot, make revisions, whatever. Uh, so for them, when uh, they decided to go from uh, Final Cut 7 to Final Cut uh, to Premiere Pro, it was just a natural transition yeah. and in fact made things easier because now they were all in one ecosystem. You know, so I, I think let's talk a minute about Resolve specifically because I mentioned that Creative Cloud and the and the uh, the suite and, and what you get in the suite is is unmatched for the for the price. I mean, people bitch and moan about having to pay a monthly fee to Adobe for the Creative Cloud. But, you know, again, Adobe doesn't sell iPhones. Adobe doesn't sell hardware. So they have to make money somewhere, somehow in the world. And that's how they do it. They rent their software. But what you get for that price is is insane when you think about what all you can do with the tools that they offer. If you only ever work in Premiere, then perhaps, you know, doesn't make a lot of make a lot of sense to you. But um, 
shifting that to, to resolve though, here we have resolve is this suite of things all in one. It's the Final Cut Extreme super suite, if you will. Um, I look at that sometimes and I think to myself, uh, you know, how can anybody match that in the future? Because Blackmagic can give it away, which they do, and you can do a whole lot with the, with the free version. Tony is one who has immersed themselves deeply into Resolve. I'm just curious as your your thought on on the on the super suite, and you know, is is that the future? Oh man, yeah, I I, I love it. Um, I think it is. I hope that they can. Um, they definitely have work to do. There's not a question about that. Blackmagic for for Resolve in that super suite. Um, but I, I, I don't have an Adobe subscription. You know, I've been Adobe free for I think five or six years now. Um, so I, I've used After Effects for 12, 13 years and did tons of motion graphics and all that stuff. But I've switched myself over to Fusion and that with like Affinity Photo, I've, you know, I have five machines that I have to have software on and uh, just the, the, Subscription to Adobe plus, you know, as an After Effects user, to me, After Effects wasn't uh, complete unless I bought 20 plugins and scripts and all these other different things. And then After Effects was complete. So after however many thousands of dollars that was, I figured, you know, let me let me invest and look into Fusion. So that idea, that concept of the different pages in uh, Resolve for me is paid off because uh, one app can I can do my media organization and uh and then i can do my edited my editing my editorial uh, i can jump into visual effects or motion graphics and of course we all know that it has you know world-class color correction uh but what i like about about that for me when i when i'm talking to premiere users is that i'm not loading up three pieces of software four pieces of software i'm just loading up one piece of software and i don't have to really think about how i want to change my interface the interface just changes for me so if I want to work on audio, I can go to Fairlight page and all my video tracks just melt away and I can have my waveforms as big or as small or I can do whatever I want. Think in audio mode. Uh, same thing for color correction. I don't need to worry about tracks or audio. I just want to see my clips and then my scopes and color correct. So that's kind of the thing that I really like about about Resolve is that it's uh, it's really just a click away and you're in a different program, but you're not. You're still your timeline's all intact. There's no it eliminates all the need for dynamic linking. I never really liked dynamic linking between uh, After Effects and and Premiere. There's just too many things that have, that that could happen that would mess up your your uh, your timeline or your render in your timeline. So I, I've really been enjoying it for the work we do specifically. We do short form stuff, ads. Um, promo entries, you know, half documentary, half promo. So it's two minute, three minute, five minute, 30 seconds, six seconds. Uh, it works really, really well. I can make an ad and I can be in editorial mode, jump over and now I'm in fusion mode, jump over, I'm back in editorial mode. So it's very fluid. It's very quick. I'm not having to worry about exporting out to go open up After Effects and then work in After Effects, close After Effects. Now I'm going to go back into, into Premiere. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, for our shop, it's uh, it's really it's really nice. The the downside is that you have to learn Fusion. Fusion's not easy to learn. Um, a lot of folks open up Fusion and then they close Fusion because <laughs> it's you know the nodes is completely different, right? It's not like you're just it's not like you're going to open up Motion 
from, from Apple and be like, okay, this is similar. I got some layers and there's, I can kind of move around. It's, it's 100% different. So I think that's the biggest hurdle that people have is opening up Fusion. Correct me if I'm wrong on, on Fusion. I think of it less as motion graphics and more you know, compositing and visual effects. Whereas with After Effects, you can do lots of compositing and visual effects, but you can also really do motion graphics in there. Is that proper way to think or am I off base? No, no, I think that's right. You know, After Effects started off as a really a motion graphics software and they've kind of bolted on stuff to make it a compositing app. Um, and Fusion is a compositing app and you can bolt on and make stuff to make it work for, for motion graphics. Um, I've done, you know, I've used After Effects for 12, 13 years, but I also did shake and combustion. So like the idea of nodes wasn't completely new to me, um, but it did take me, you know, uh, about eight months to wean myself off of After Effects and be confident enough to say, okay, I see that motion graphics job. I know I can do it in Fusion. Um, and the big selling point for me was that I didn't have to buy video copilot plugins. I didn't have to spend money to get all these other different plugins. It was all mm-hmm. kind of the tools were there in Fusion. So it's a big hurdle that you have to get over, definitely. I'm not going to deny that. But once you do, uh, you know, there's no plugins to buy, really. It's, 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 most, it's all there. Well, I don't, I don't think that anybody's ever jumped in to resolve and not thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing how this is laid out, how there's so many options here. There's the different pages. There's the different, uh, there's the flow of post-production is all within this, within this one app. Um, I do think it feels, you know, there's a lot of settings, there's a lot of buttons, there's a lot of switches, there's a lot of contextual menus that I think goes back to the, the deep history of, uh, of, of Resolve as a, as a mm-hmm. full-blown post-production tool that can do anything. But then it's schizophrenic because suddenly we have the, you know, the, the cut page pops into the world and there's quick export instead of the media page. And it, uh, it's, it's a little bit, um, it, it feels a little bit like it not, it's not completely sure where it's going. And Oliver, I don't know if you've ever d- dug deep into Resolve and kind of been like me and wondered like, exactly what do they want me to do here? Well, I mean, I, I have done editing in Resolve. Uh, and part of the reason I don't is that it is real loose on lip sync. And I'll run a timeline where everything is completely out of sync and then I'll stop and start again. And it stays in sync. So um, for me, there are a lot of editing flaws. Um, I guess where I'm looking at it is I'm not sure what Blackmagic wants to do with it. And when I talk to various Fusion users, they're a little concerned that Fusion ends up getting shortchanged for what it's good at because it's not the prime focus of the application. Um, and, and then you've got the, you know, cut page versus edit page. It's like, okay, are those at some point going to get um, melded together in some way? Or are they just two different things that are bolted in there? Uh, and, and then the other thing with, like, After Effects, the, the downside of having a single uh, interface like that is if I'm in a multi uh if I'm in a work group, a team, and I've got an editor working on the editorial and an After Effects artist working on graphics, uh, I can have those two working separately and then in the end, you know, bring in the graphics files into the edit system. Uh, that sort of collaboration is kind of there in, uh, in Resolve, but not really. And when you do, it involves much more 
complex networking than simply moving files around because of the database structure. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, some discussion about how if you, you've got a disk-based database in Resolve and the, uh, and the oh, what's the other kind called, Tony? You know what it is. Uh, the Postgres database. Yes, the more high-end database, when you set that up right, that it allows almost for real-time collaboration in the same timeline in the different in the different pages, which does sound pretty cool, but yet at the same time a little bit scary. So I guess maybe you need a, an IT database manager if you wanted to go that deep. Maybe I don't know. I, I know nothing about databases. I just know in Resolve you can't. It's not easy to move you know a project around. And I've often been yelled at on Twitter when I talk about this. Like, yes, you can. You just don't know how to do it. And like, well, if it's that hard. Well, yes, yes and no. I mean, you can set up, if you're on a shared storage, you could set up a Resolve database manager, right? Which is, you know, could be a Mac mini just really functioning to hold the, the database. Uh, you could have it be one of your worker machines, but that's really not recommended. Um, but to move up Normally, to move a project around, you have to export a project, and then that can be transported um, to another system. Uh, I do that with Colorist, for instance. Uh, since I know Resolve, I may cut in something else, and then I'll do my own, you know, bring it into Resolve, make sure everything's organized, collect the files, export a project. And now instead of sending the colorist an XML that they've got a you know proof, I can just send them a Resolve project file and the media, and they're good to go. Yeah, yeah, uh, we we definitely don't use the uh, shared database yet. Uh, we're looking into it, but we just export projects out. Um, and for like when I, when we do stuff for colorist, we'll make a Resolve uh, archive. Uh, so that way they just drag it straight in and all the media is linked up and they just they have their clips uh, to their timeline. But yeah, it, it is a pain uh, to manage those exports of projects to make sure editor one on machine three is sending me over, you know, uh, his cut for spot three. And I'm doing the graphics, you know, for all the spots and like, he needs to have his uh, his graphics to put in as well. So there, there is a little bit of a dance um, for it. Let's uh, let's spend our last few minutes. I, I I got some questions from Twitter about about our our, our discussion here. Um, one, okay, here's a good one. Who's got the better shortcuts? Oh, uh, what do you mean by that? That's the question. You mean who's got the better who's got the better shortcuts? Question mark. That's the question. That's easy. Uh, like, yeah, I'm torn between Final Cut. And no, I, I'm going to say pr Premiere hands down. I think about shortcuts as being keyboard shortcuts and and quick ways to do stuff. And well, I, and, and there's no like, you know, let's let me go keyboard shortcuts real fast. I think that's easily Premiere because Premiere has multiple, usually multiple ways to achieve one task. Where in some of the other NLEs, you do it one way, and that's pretty much the only way. But you can do most anything multiple ways in Premiere, whether it's different shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts for the same thing, whether it's your window arrangements, whether you're working pancaking versus source monitor versus big thumbnails in a bin. I, I always felt like it's it can you can tailor what you want to do much easier in Premiere because it's not trying to force you into one specific way of a uh, way of, of doing things. 
So if someone asked me shortcut wise, and I didn't even mention third party extensions and how many of those are available for different types of workflows. I, I think, you know, not knowing, knowing shortcuts go many different ways. That'd be my answer to that. But go Oliver. The thing that strikes me about Media Composer is you have a lot less layers of keyboard shortcuts and things like that, but they all seem to be kind of just what you need. Good so point. I find that if I'm working Media Composer, there's a lot less customization that I need to do. And that's one of the things I think the new interface actually helps with is that you have some decent preset workspaces. Uh, so I like that. Um, Final Cut 10, I think a lot of the shortcuts, particularly for opening and closing panels and so on, are really pretty fluid. So even though it's probably the least customizable interface out there, uh, it um, you still kind of get things to fly open when you need them, and that's pretty quick. Um you know, I, I like the versatility of being able to customize uh, Premiere. But on the other hand, if you bounce between different machines, it kind of helps to sort of know the defaults and maybe stick closely to the defaults so that uh, you're, you know, you can easily move from one machine to the next and not have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I think uh, you said keyboard shortcuts and then you went to... Uh like UI customization, um, but I think they all pretty have much have decent keyboard shortcuts uh, functionality. But for me, the UI is I like the rigidness, the somewhat somewhat rigidness of Resolve um, that it does keep it semi consistent. You can definitely pancake your timelines. You can add both stack timelines and yeah, but it doesn't work very well. Come on, let's let's, let's stacking really? pancaking in Resolve is not good. Really? Like why? Why is it not? Is it clunky? Is it? Not it's clunky. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of copying and pasting, and, uh, and and only because I think the the source sequence paradigm in in Premiere once you pancake works so incredibly well. Um, but again, that's my that's my humble well, opinion, I, and I and I think that's I, I maybe I need to have a, a private uh, lesson, uh, Scott. Uh, <laughs> okay, show me how to do pancake uh, timeline in Premiere. Fifty five dollars um, an but, hour. <laughs> to teach you we'll do for two minutes uh <laughs> but you know the ability just to download a resolve a free version of resolve and get up and going anywhere in the world on a mac pc you know that's kind of nice too um and it, it, the interface is the same and you can just plug away yeah. um, well, i don't know uh, oliver uh, you, you mentioned uh oh talking about meeting composer for a second about uh it seems to be just right you know i i think people who kind of know meeting composer pretty well who have to jump away from it. And this is often my experience when I jump back into it. I, I don't know what it is about it. Yeah, the interface is kind of aging. A lot of people call it a dinosaur. They say it's clunky, but I've never, I've always found that once I jump back into it, I suddenly am, it's like a warm blanket around me because it is kind of just what you need. And it does, you can work so fast and so fluid, even though it may, on the surface, it may feel like this is this is a you know this is a dinosaur. It's it's a it's a relic that we're still having to be forced into. But it, it, it's kind of a when you know it, it's a relic that really really works. Which I don't know. I, I never have understood how how that is the case. Uh, yeah, I mean they got a lot of things right from the very beginning. Uh, but I think you know with any software, if you're in a market where you don't need to jump around, so you know. 
think television post or feature film post where most of the editors are probably uh, on uh, media composer and to a lesser extent premiere. Uh, you know, the editors there know the software so well and they don't have to think about it, right? The software just melts away and everything is muscle memory and going through. So, you know, that's one of the reasons software like Media Composer, in spite of things that it might not have that other tools do have, uh, it stays around because it gets the job done. You know, if you're looking at a Hollywood community where you've got a a post vendor that might supply a hundred systems on rental, uh, complete with software and hardware and everything, you know, to have everything standardized on media composer for the most part, just makes life simple for the, for people working in those communities. Okay. But two what more. about, uh, other tools like, uh, Lightworks, uh, making, a. Uh, a push to be resurgent and you've still got Edius uh, floating around out there. Yeah. We'll just skip that question and we'll, we'll just move on. I'm kidding. I mean, you know, really, I mean, I, they're, they're out there, but I mean, we talk about the big four because, you know, as a freelancer, um, that's all I've ever been asked to work on. And, and, and every now and then you'll encounter a, maybe a Twitter comment or someone in a B that's like, Oh, I use Edius, but yeah, I, you know, well, I mean, I, I, I will say if you're, brand new and you have no uh, no preconceived uh, loyalties to any particular application uh, resolve for free would be the place to start I mean the, 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 why not right well it's it, 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 truly I mean if you if you learn that really well your uh, your your lateral move to any of the others is not yeah not that your difficult um, so we got two more questions and then I want to try to keep it as close to an hour as we can uh, well, here's one: Is that any tips for switching? Oliver, you're a big, you're a big switcher. What do we? I've got a few of my own, but what do you? Uh... Obviously, learn uh, learn the software, but I usually find that it takes me a day or two to kind of refamiliarize myself with software when I've been off of it for a while. So you know, if you're switching, allow that time. Uh, I tend to try to stay with default keyboard shortcuts. Uh, so, you know, I I do a few modifications in Premiere, but for the most part, it's the default. Uh, a lot of people like to go, okay, they they came from Final Cut Classic, and so every system they go to, they try to remap the keyboard to be Final Cut Classic layout, right? Or they do the same thing with Media Composer, uh, and I find. That works, but it's kind of counterproductive because there's not a direct translation from one tool to the next often. And so you, you end up with gaps. Uh, so I try to stick to the default layouts and learn those. Uh, I'm going to counter that with the exact opposite, which is <laughs> I greatly customize the, uh, the keyboard, especially between Avid and Premiere. And it is sort of a hybrid that began with MIDI Composer, um, but then tweaked to uh, make it more more uh, work better in Premiere. It's partly because the, Premiere is so deep in keyboard shortcuts, there is a keyboard equivalent which could be mapped and maybe unmapped to most everything you'd want to do. Um, 
And it does take, that has taken time. It took a few years and it constantly evolves. But I find that that is, is, uh, you know, is, is really helps you work really, 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 really quickly. And then when I go to Final Cut 10, um, like the one through nine keys, I, I've remapped those to do some of those features that I'm kind of used to a little bit lower on the keyboard. And that does take a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a brain shift. I'm currently, you know, experimenting with, with that keyboard type of layout in, um, in Resolve. Because if you go into one of the NLEs and you just go to the keyboard shortcut editor and you flip it to, it's like, I want to move Resolve to a default Premiere or Premiere to a default Avid. And, and if you know that old other default keyboard well enough, I think you get frustrated because there are enough things that don't that don't match. So I think that's why, um, you know, part of the advice of switching would be give yourself enough time to kind of study it ahead of the job and uh, download the, the, the trial ahead of the job and spend some time trying to figure it out. And I think you can figure it out. It's, I think it's easier than a lot of people might think it is to, uh, to, do, to do the switch. And, and don't, um, don't think of it as being too difficult. And I think you can, most people, but, I think. But then you end up having to carry around a, a USB key or something with different uh, so? keyboard presets if so? you're hopping from one machine to another. I've never had a facility that wouldn't let me I keep them on Dropbox, keep them on a USB stick. I've never once had anybody that bought I, it. Load I had a facility who you could not bring in. You cannot, you barely bring in your cell phone. They wouldn't let you bring in a, a USB. You had to get it approved. <laughs> well, I, I, I've had those too. And that's, and they run it through their, um, through their, uh, yeah, the scanner thing, um, and you know, and I take that back. I have had times when no, they're just the inability to um, to load them up. And it's like, hey, I need thirty minutes to um, to re- to set up my keyboard, and and I've never had any in twenty some odd years of editing. I've never been, I've never had the inability to either bring in my settings or to pause before we get started and to do a quick sure. a quick yeah. setup. And and if the facility won't let you do that, then it's like you know yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, they'll let you for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, for my keyboard shortcuts, I'm kind of on the in the camp with uh, Oliver is that I, I use the default as much as possible. I will modify a couple things. The only ones that I, that I will change uh, is Media Composer um, because back in the day I had my keyboard settings for that. So I keep that um, set in place. But uh, for switching is don't be afraid to invest in uh, in some training. Training is not it's not too expensive. Ripple training's got some great um, uh, you know, uh, courses and there's other ones out there as well, but, uh, a lot of the stuff is in the cloud. Now you can just download it and try it. So I, I wouldn't even wait to get a job. I would just, if you have some downtime, download the software, pay Adobe $80 for the month and jump in premiere or, um, for media composer and just kind of play, take one of your projects that you've done that you know how to do and the other your your one that you use all the time and try to re redo it in, in the new one. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, just don't be afraid to, to, to use it and to learn it now instead of waiting for a job. And it does take about a day to, tw- to switch over. Once you're in it for a couple of hours, you remember, oh yeah, this is where they want, this is how they want me to work. And then before you know it, your keys, your hands are dancing on the keys and you're good to go. And they all uh, have undoes. They all have undoes, yeah. <laughs> for, for, that, for that one moment. All right, so here's the last question. And this one, uh, this is the one that I think we all probably have gotten asked. And it is, Gun to your head, you need to edit a quick video and deliver within the hour. Which NLE do you use? Final Cut. Final Cut. 
I'd probably say Final Cut, it, but it's it's the within the hour thing. That's but that, that that's kind of a loaded question because um, it depends on what you need to do doing the thing. I, I think you know if it's a quick cuts and only add a little motion graphic template, then that's probably the the fastest one 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 to do. But maybe yeah, maybe within the hour. But I often get the hey gun to your head. You can only use one NLE the rest of your life. You're on a desert island to get all of your freelancing work. You know which which one okay. would you choose? Does that does that change your answer if it's not within the hour and it's you're on a desert island for the rest of your career? I'm choosing Final Cut for me. Yeah, I, I would probably concur with that. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, you know, here's an example. I did a an on location you know press cut, and I I'm on my laptop and I was fully ready to cut the thing. Uh, in Premiere, because that's what the shop uses. Uh, we had Alexa 4K footage. I tried to bring it into Premiere, and it should have played it just fine. And right off the bat, it's stuttering like crazy. So I bailed and went to Final Cut, and we did the rest of the weekend in Final Cut. So, you know, there are things like that that, you know, yeah. definitely sway you. And, I mean, you can, you can put Final Cut on an old laptop, too, and it's going to for the most part, be functional and buttery smooth. And, and it's not going to be as fast as, you know, being on a brand new MacBook Pro, but uh, it works across a lot of machines. Uh, I have a trash can at the office and it still works great on there. Um, yeah. It's not as fast as the iMac Pro, of course, but but it, it's not like it's not functional. You can still cut on it and make money on it. Um, I, I know enough with it. I love the fact to use um, behaviors in it. So motion graphics for me, it, it's, it's great. So I think that's an all around tool it definitely has its shortcomings but if i had to be stuck on an island final cut. all right for the next hour let's talk about final cut 10 shortcomings all right first <laughs> of all there's doom detection no, i'm kidding um so i think you know yes. they kind of go back to the idea that it that is kind of a kind of loaded question because there there are so many factors that it depends on you know we didn't even get in, in, in the thing about like f formats and which systems work better with formats and the hardware you're working off of and your raid and i mean there's just there's there's so much that goes into choosing you know, which tool, you know, you're going to use and how well is your system set up and what kind of support do you have and how, you know, how well do you even understand, you know, DJI drone footage and how it's not going to play back, even though it's H.264, it should play back just fine. And there's, there's really a lot, a lot that goes into it. And I, I think that more than anything else, you know, some of us are older than others, Oliver, me, um, I don't know how old you are, Tony, uh, that, you know, it takes some experience to kind of understand strengths and weaknesses and how to get the most out of, you know, a particular system or a particular job that you're, that you're asked to do. And it's, you know, it's not as easy as just a couple of YouTube tutorials and you're, you know, you're, you're good to go. You know, at least I don't think, I still think the experience really helps in, in this question. Yeah, there, there are definitely nuances to all of it. And obviously, when we say Final Cut, that automatically pins it into a Mac-centric world. So if you're a uh, predominantly a PC user, obviously that excludes you. What if you're a Linux user? Uh, <laughs> is, is there, are there Linux works. users? Is that even a thing? I know. I'm sure there are a few I, out there. There's only for high-end color, but, but yeah. if you had to, <laughs> resolve. Yeah. And I think Lightworks works for Linux as well. Yes. Are we back to Lightworks again? Who who owns Lightworks? Didn't didn't uh, <laughs> well, uh, uh, EditShare has divested it? Didn't the they? Options. I thought they uh, did. 
Yes, they're basically the people that were in charge of it have taken well, it maybe over. Maybe in a media 100 will um, make, make, make a comeback. Um, we yeah. just have a kind of a question <laughs> pop in, and we'll, let's wrap it on this one uh, about where, you know, where might the NLEs be heading? You know, I got Final Cut 10 heading toward its user group. Avid's not sure. Uh, you know, Premiere, not, not sure, resolves a big question mark. And it's kind of like where, you know, where do you think these things are going? Uh, we'll do a round robin. Oliver, where, where do you think things are going? Well, I think everything is very much up in the air, but I think Apple's uh, direction with Final Cut 10 is very centric towards the uh, creative individual. And I think that's in sync across the board if you look at what they've done with the iPhone and so on. I think that's their target with the sort of traditional pro user broadcast feature film, whatever, being kind of a nice to have, but it's not the market that they're 100% focused on. Um, Avid, I think their interface is in still an evolving mode. So they are probably changing even more in, in the coming year. Uh, obviously, they're trying to be more fluid with different types of media and stuff like that. Uh, again, kind of working on their core of uh, broadcast users and so on. Um, Premiere, you know, probably everybody else, right? And Resolve, I think, also is trying to appeal to a more democratized audience with uh, with the cut page and so on. I mean, the nice thing about Resolve is that, uh, yes, it's a very deep software, but if you just want to use it to cut and deliver you can skip three of the pages and, uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, it, and, it and you can turn them off in the fine. interface where it doesn't even look like they're there. That's what's great for junior artists is that if you have a bunch of, you know, uh, junior artists in your, in your shop, just format the resolve to only show those pages that they need and they can just start assembling stuff for you and they don't have to worry Jun about by it. junior. You mean low paid, right? <laughs> low. Yeah. People not paid at all. No, so Tony, what do you like <laughs> as a as Final Cut Ten and Resolve in mainly your corner? Where where are they headed? What do you think? What's the future? Uh, you know, I I don't know where they're headed. I think they're all headed to getting more users, <laughs> to being democratized. But I think you know, I think uh, if I had to answer a, a version of that, it would be that uh, language currency is video, right? That's proven every day that we all use video for everything, and it's becoming a thing where it's not going to be everybody can edit at some point and it's not going to, the tools are going to eventually melt away across the board for all the pieces of software. Uh, we all communicate with video and technology is rising. So I think, I think that, uh, to make things easier and AI it's, it's, it's going to be emerging. You know, we're seeing it, um, make its appearances and it's making fun, cool, uh, YouTube videos are getting millions of hits, but all that stuff is coming to the NLEs to make our jobs, uh, not maybe maybe not obsolete, but to to remove those barriers uh, so that anybody can be creative. Um, if you know my daughter wants to do a video for something and she wants to create some score, she doesn't know how to use Logic Pro, but maybe there's a software that just she can plug in some moods and now she's got a piece of score that she can do her makeup tutorial on and so forth, all the way up to um, you know a big brand and their own internal um advertising so i think it's it's the ability to make the software easier simpler but still be complex 
and allow us to uh, think more creatively uh, and edit at the speed of, of thought versus the tool. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think everybody's going to do more I think it does. You're, you're uh, right that, the, that video is a literacy, and that's been talked about for years now, and, and it's it's certainly something everybody's going to know how to do. There, there's there's the markets for the uh, you know the Premier Rushes of the world, which is which is which is its own different market than what Premier Pro can do. I think there's going to be always the need for, hopefully, the need for the highly skilled editor who can who can take days, hours, years of video and make a documentary. And there's going to be the need for editors who can take something quickly shot with a phone and make something social for it that can that can help a brand. It's 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 we are tr- truly in a time when that when the skill level can span, you know, a greater chasm than has ever been able to ever had to span and ever been able to span. And that goes you know, to the tools as well. My question is, is like, you know, we talk about the amazing, skillful, advanced features that all these pieces of software have, but will it matter? (laughs) Will it be needed in a couple of years? You know, because the software is so advanced and so fluid and so easy, quote unquote, easy. Like, uh, will it matter that we have skilled jobs anymore because everybody is doing Uh, That's a good question. And does, does, does good enough become good enough i mean i, I have no idea uh, uh, but that's yeah. kind of where i think good enough thinking, is already so. is already a thing it's often good enough and, and ai you know i think adobe seems to be a leader a bit in the ai and well and you go to adobe max and you see these cool demos of the stuff that they're working on um it feels like they're kind of sort of pushing that into our realm a, a little bit more but but you know i, I think you know good enough yeah. is good enough uh, and a lot of things, but there are certain things where I still hope that in the future that, the, that we'll still have the craftspeople who can shape through through the editing tools. Will there will still be a need for that? It, it'll maybe less than it is, but hopefully that will still be a thing. I think a good way to wrap that is you know like what you said earlier, uh, because it will come down to that. Well, good enough. We can just get it out. There's it, you know content is such a, a giant river; it's just passing us by, but. I think uh, I think the experience to know when to to make and to invest in craft versus just okay we just need to get this out. So I think as you get experience, you'll know which NLE to use and why why to use it. And also, is it good enough, or do I need to put the effort for to really give this a, a craft quality feel? There you go. I think that's a good one to end it on. Is it good enough, or do I need to put more effort into it? And that which is kind of, we, we're there today already, my friend. And I think it's only going to get worse. <laughs> um, uh, Tony Oliver, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Sure, sure. Awesome. Cheers.